Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. So Romans 16 is our passage this morning. There was a survey conducted uh, by a group called Lifeway Research back in April. This was supported by Ligonier Ministry. Some of you might know about Ligonier, R.C. Sproul's ministry. And they were surveying Americans to find out what Americans believe theologically, trying to understand the theological beliefs of Americans. And there were some very interesting results from the survey. Survey indicated that the number of people who believe that God accepts worship from all religions among Americans, 64%. The number of people who believe that most people are good by nature, 65%. The number of people who believe that Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God. Jesus, a created being. 52% of Americans. The number of people believing that people must contribute their own effort, their own personal effort, in order to be saved, which Pastor Brian talked to us very clearly about a moment ago, 77% of Americans. These views that are held by Americans might not surprise you. A lot of these views might be the result of hearing basically no teaching whatsoever because maybe they're not in church. We know a lot of people in America aren't in church on Sunday mornings. Uh, some of these views might be held because people have been receiving bad teaching, sloppy teaching, unclear teaching. Others might be holding these views because they have been receiving false teaching, deliberate false doctrine from pulpits and places of influence in our culture. We live in what's called the information age. That is, we are constantly bombarded by statements and propositions and truth claims, particularly in this age of social media. If you're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you're getting messages all the time. We're constantly bombarded by messages. Some of those messages are true, and some of those messages are false. And the question that I want to pose to you today is, do you know the difference? Do you know how to tell the difference? As we finish Romans here, chapter 16, um, we find that Paul is talking about exactly this issue. It's kind of maybe a little bit of a surprising conclusion to this letter that we've been going through. We're, We're finishing Romans today. We started Romans in April 2015, so... Um, We've been doing a few other things, a little detour here and there, so we haven't been in Romans the entirety of that time, but about a year and a half since we started this letter, and by God's grace, we're finishing today. Um, By the way, we will be starting a new series next Sunday, a mini-series on Scripture, Trembling Before the Word. We're just going to take a look at what the Scripture says about Scripture. We want to ask if Scripture is true, uh, if it's clear and understandable, and is it enough? Those are the three questions I'm going to seek to answer over three successive Sundays, short series on Scripture starting 
next Sunday. But today we're finishing Romans here, and you might remember the first half of chapter 16, Paul was expressing a lot of greetings and very warm greetings to various people. And now he shifts in the second half of chapter 16 and gives us warnings. (laughs) And the warning in particular is about false teaching. There are a few more greetings here in verses 21 to 23, which we won't spend much time on because they're pretty much similar to the greetings in the first half of chapter 16. But the main point here that Paul is uh, expressing is a warning against false teaching. So let's read this. Please stand. We're going to uh, read verses 17 to 27. And uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, there are paperback Bibles um, in the chairs in front of you. And um, this passage is on page 554. 554 of the paperback white Bibles. All right, Romans 16, verses 17 to 27. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good, and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason, Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Uh, Tertius was writing on Paul's behalf. It's not that Tertius wrote the content. Paul probably dictated the content to Tertius who wrote it on Paul's behalf. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed, and through the prophets and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Lord, we pray that your spirit would move mightily in this place as your word goes forth. Would you open our eyes and soften our hearts to receive what you have to say to us and send us away rejoicing in the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for us. In his name we pray. Amen. You be seated. So you see what Paul is saying here. Watch out. And that's the title of the sermon this morning. Watch out. Watch out, friends. Watch out for false doctrine in particular. I'm going to seek to answer three questions here. What does false teaching look like? Where does false teaching come from? And how should we respond to false teaching? What, where, and how. So the first question is this, what does false teaching look like according to Paul's message here? Well, the first thing he says is that it creates division. Uh, That's very clearly said here in verse 17. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles. So he's looking out for these people who come in and divide churches and cause denominations to split through the teaching that they're bringing to the church. Now, I want to make a very careful distinction here because sometimes you'll hear this phrase in the church, 
that, that says this, doctrine divides. I hear a lot of Christians say that. Doctrine divides. Don't get into doctrine very much. Don't read a lot about doctrine. Don't preach a lot of doctrine. Don't teach a lot of doctrine. Because doctrine just has this way of separating people from each other and making them mad and getting all caught up in splitting hairs. And doctrine's just no good. <laughs> Sometimes you'll hear that in the church. And I want you to see very carefully here that it's not doctrine that Paul is speaking against. It's false doctrine that Paul has a problem with. Paul is very clear. He says in Titus, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. He also says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Doctrine is very important in the Christian life. And here at New Life, in the PCA, we tend to emphasize that quite a bit and for good reason. But I don't want you to mistake here. Doctrine can go bad for sure, but that's not Paul's concern here. It's the false doctrine that is preached in the church. And so there's a guy named J. Gresham Machen, who I've quoted before, one of my theological heroes. I think he makes a fine distinction here. He says, it is often said that the divided condition of Christendom is an evil. And so it is. But the evil consists in the existence of the errors which cause the divisions and not at all in the recognition of those errors once they exist. You see the difference there. Sometimes heresy and false teaching is proclaimed and those people are confronted and then they're the ones accused of being divisive when the divisiveness is coming from the false doctrine to begin with. And so this is one of the attributes of false teaching creates division. But then we see, secondly, that false teaching is in opposition to doctrine. So he goes on in verse 17, watch out for those who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. So when people come and say something that's different than the accepted New Testament apostolic doctrine, those are the people that you need to avoid and watch out for, Paul says. Now, what, what constitutes that doctrine? And I think that doctrine is summed up most specifically in the coming of Jesus, the Savior of the world, who has come to die on a cross and to shed his blood as an atonement for sin, to save sinful people through faith alone, and that he is resurrected from the grave and he reigns over the universe for our justification, and we long for him to return again, and he will. And that's what the apostles received from Jesus, and that's what the apostles wrote down in the New Testament, not just the fact of Jesus' death and resurrection, but the implications and the meaning of that. And that has been handed down over the generations and are recorded for us here in the New Testament. And what Paul is saying is that it's those who oppose that doctrine and challenge that doctrine and seek to overturn that doctrine and not just what Jesus has done but also how a Christian is supposed to live in this world through the very clear commandments given to us in his word. And over and over again you'll see that just the basic Christian doctrine that has been accepted by the church over the centuries, someone comes along, some maverick, and challenges it and tries to overturn it. And so some examples of false teaching that you might hear in various places today. I would say any teaching that denies the necessity of Jesus Christ crucified on the cross for the forgiveness of sins is false doctrine. Any teaching that denies the bodily resurrection 
of Jesus Christ, the miraculous bodily resurrection where the man Jesus was dead and came alive and came out of that tomb and is now ascended to the right hand of the Father. Any teaching that denies that is false doctrine. Any teaching that would suggest that faith, trust in this Jesus is unnecessary and that all people eventually are going to get to heaven, no matter how they live or what they believe, everybody without exception eventually gets to heaven. We call that universalism. That's false teaching. Any teaching that would deny God's exhaustive foreknowledge, that would deny that he knows all things. There are many teachers in the recent years who have been challenging that. Any denial of God's exhaustive foreknowledge is false teaching. Any teaching that would say that God has promised health, wealth, and prosperity to every single Christian who just simply believes enough is false teaching. Any teaching that would exalt one race over and above another race, saying that one race is superior to another, somehow based on some passage in the Bible, is false teaching. Any teaching that would seek to normalize any kind of sexual immorality, including homosexual behavior, is false teaching. Any teaching that would deny that there is such thing as false teaching, it's false teaching. <laughs> that is kind of a relativistic, anything goes and truth is just simply what I prefer to believe is contrary to the doctrine that has been passed down to us in the scriptures. And, and there are probably more examples. Now, there's some different extremes that we can get into. There are some people who get kind of fixated on false teaching, and it's just, it's all they think about, and they're all wrought up about it, and they're, they're just constantly looking for false teachers around every corner, kind of self-appointed doctrine cops in the church, just an air of suspicion all the time. I think that's an extreme, and, and that's, that's, that's not what I'm calling for. That's not what Paul is calling for. There should be a spirit of grace and love that prevails in our relation with one another. But there's another extreme, and that is just a general indifference to false teaching, particularly in an age that emphasizes tolerance so much. It's, it's very hard for some people to accept that there are some views that can actually be wrong. And yet that's what Paul is saying here, and that's what the Scriptures would declare to us. We should no more tolerate false teaching than we should tolerate sin in our lives because it's dangerous and destructive. So false teaching opposes doctrine, creates division, and then thirdly, it intends to deceive. And we see that in verse 18. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ with their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. And here's an important distinction, I, I, I think. You see the, the malicious motive of the false teacher here. They, they want to deceive people. They want to lie to people, and they use flattery in order to do that. And they prey particularly on the naive. And I would say in particular people who don't think doctrine is that big of a deal. Those are the people who are most susceptible to false teaching. Their radar is very low. 
and false teachers prey on those kinds of people. But let me be clear, we're not talking here about people who have questions about doctrine or people who are working through their convictions and reading and not sure what they believe about this and that and they're asking questions and they're seeking to learn. That, that, that's, that's not what's in view here. And that applies to all of us to some degree. We're all on a journey of increasing in our understanding. The false teaching that Paul has in mind here are those who have a deliberate attempt to oppose doctrine, create division, and deceive. I had an experience uh, a little while ago. I came home, drove into my driveway, and got, was going in the garage, and I hear this guy go, hey, hey, boss. And I look down, and there's a, a truck down at the end of my driveway, and a guy gets out, and he brings these couple of boxes up and says, hey, boss, um, hey, just, I want to give you something. I got, I got something I got to get rid of here. I want to give it to you. And it was like a meat truck. And he had steaks and chicken in there. And he had these boxes. And he put down the box. I want to give this to you. I want to, you know, talking real fast. I want to give this to you. I want to be good to you, boss, here. And so I want to show you what I got here. And he starts throwing me this, you know, showing me these boxes of chicken and frozen chicken. And, uh, and then he, he talks about this box of steak. And he said, well, you know, the steak here, you know, it's... It's, it's reduced, reduced value here, but what I want to do as boss here is, is give you this chicken. And, uh, and so he's going on and on and showing me all this, and I'm thinking, he's, he's gonna, he wants to give me something. But then as I listen to him more, you know, I, he keeps making this reference to this box of steaks, and I said, what is this going to cost me? And he said, well, the steaks were originally $499, but it's marked down to $350. I said, I don't have $350 to give to you. And he just, he just shut down, just packed up his boxes and just walked down the driveway and got in his car and drove away. I didn't say anything. <laughs> Thank you for your time or maybe some literature on what he's selling. Nothing. Just, just disappeared. I, I felt like that guy, he, he was trying to deceive me. <laughs> and he was flattering me, calling me boss all the time. <laughs> he was flattering me. He was trying to, he was trying to dupe me. And that's what false teachers do. They're not trustworthy. They intend to deceive. So that's what false teaching looks like. But then the second question is this. Where does false teaching come from? Where does it come from? Where ultimately is its source? And if you look at verse 20, it, it kind of seems like verse 20 is a little bit out of, out of place. He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Like, where did that come from all of a sudden? It seems a little bit like a non sequitur from what Paul has been saying so far about false teaching. But I think why Paul is suddenly referring to Satan is because he knows that that is ultimately where false teaching comes from. It's satanic. And so he wants to give encouragement to the Romans. You know, it's Satan who's been deceiving you, but good news, he's going to be destroyed one day. But we can look to other places in the scriptures and see support for this. Here's 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. Teaching is rooted in a demonic influence. Um, this is John 8.44. Citation fell off there, but this is Jesus speaking. He says... The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar. 
He wants to lie to you. He wants to deceive you. He wants you to fall for his deceit. I want you to see, friends, that false teaching is dangerous. It's, it's from the pit of hell. It's destructive. It's not your friend. It's not harmless. It's not neutral. It's being sent to destroy your soul. The story of a, what happened in the, the Falkland Islands conflict, it was in the early 80s, it was a conflict between Britain and Argentina. And there was a British ship called the Sheffield in the ocean, and there was an Argentine jet fighter that fired a missile at the ship. And there was a computer system on the ship that would recognize you know, incoming objects. And somehow, the computer had been programmed to perceive this particular kind of missile as friendly. So it didn't react. It didn't do anything. It didn't set off any alarms to intercept the missile because it thought it was friendly. And that missile destroyed that ship. And that's what false teaching is like if you don't see it for what it is and if you perceive it as some kind of benign, indifferent, friendly thing. No, it's intended to destroy you. Now, you might be thinking, man, this seems like an overreaction on his part. Is he one of these people who just blames everything on Satan? The devil did it. The devil's behind everything. I just want to take a minute and show you how frequently the Bible warns against false teaching. Several passages here. Jesus, Matthew 7, beware, watch out, false prophets. Come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Where? Jesus again in Mark 13. False Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. Watch out, in other words. I have told you all things beforehand. I'm telling you these things to get you ready, he's saying. There's Paul in Acts chapter 20. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says, after my departure, he's getting ready to leave Ephesus, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves. Look what he's saying there. They're going to come from within the church is what he's saying. That's where false teachers generally come from. Not from the outside in, from the inside out. Come from among your own selves, and they will arise, uh, will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples, believers, who be tempted to be drawn away by false teaching. Here's John, John 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Not just a few, not here and there, many. They're all over the place. False teachers. Second Peter chapter 2. False prophets arose among the people, referring to the Old Testament, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Satan is busy. He's active. And one of his primary methods of destroying people is false teaching. And the Bible's clear about it. Now, the good news here in this verse, 20, the God of peace, what Paul is saying here, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And that, that's, that's good news. Satan's going to be crushed. This, this should bring to mind a very central, important verse from the Old Testament. 
Genesis 3.15. Do you remember that passage? It was right after the fall, right after Satan deceived Eve to eat the fruit, the very first false teacher, Satan. It's the first thing that he did in Eve was in the garden, was deceive somebody. That's how far back false teaching goes. And what God did there in Genesis 3.15, in the following verses, he goes to Satan and he says, Satan, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be a descendant one day who's going to come from Eve. And that descendant is going to destroy you. He's going to crush your head. He's going to kill you. And we know who that is. That's Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus came, he died on a cross, that's where he took our sin upon himself, and when he was risen from the dead, he overcame the powers of darkness and the powers of Satan. He dealt a decisive blow to the work of Satan, and it's true that Satan is still active. He's not completely eliminated yet. It's like he's like a dragon with his head cut off. He's flopping around like crazy, and making a mess of things, but his head's cut off, and his doom is sure. And that will be realized when Jesus comes again at the end of history to bring history to a close and to toss Satan into the hells, the fires of hell for eternity. The good news in the gospel is that false teaching will not last forever, and the deceiver has been conquered. But I think that's why Paul mentions here in verse 20 this thing about Satan, because he is the root and the source of false teaching. The last thing I want to tell you about is how you should respond. How should you respond to false teaching? Now, there's very clear commands here uh, in this passage. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers, watch out. Watch out. Be alert. It's like when you're driving down the street, right? You're always, you've got to look around. You've got to keep your eye out for pedestrians. You've got to keep an eye out for other drivers. You've got to keep an eye out for all the signs. You can't be texting. Keep your eye on the road. I mean, it can be really dangerous, right? You take your eye off the road for 10 seconds and it could kill somebody. Watch out. That's what Paul is saying. The same thing with false teaching. Be alert to false teaching. But at the end of verse 17, he also says, avoid them. Avoid false teachers. Avoid this kind of morbid curiosity about every new, strange, innovative teaching that comes along. I mean, we ought to be widely read people. I'm not saying don't listen to them. I mean, I think you should hear what they have to say so that you can discern whether it's false or not. <laughs> but once it's been determined that you've got a false teacher on your hands, don't listen to them any longer. Don't indulge their teaching. Shut it out. Avoid them, is what Paul is saying. And then in verse 19, he, he kind of unpacks this a little bit, and he says, um, he says, for your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. So Paul is saying, you know, Romans, you're an obedient people, uh, you're a, uh, <clears throat> a faithful people, and, and everybody knows that, and, and I'm glad about that. I rejoice that you're such an obedient people. But he's saying, but you know, being a Christian in this world is, is more than just being a dutiful follower. It has to do with being discerning. And so he says, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Be an expert in what is right and good and true. Be a beginner in what is wrong and evil. 
is what he's saying. Don't be naive, Christian. The world is not your friend. Satan is not your friend. Don't be naive. Develop discernment so that you can recognize false teachers. So, how do you do that? Let me give you just some suggestions that I have. How can you be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil with regard to false teaching? One thing, very simple, read your Bible. Read your Bible. You do not have to be acquainted with every single form of false teaching. You don't have to know every cult and every world religion in order to know what is right and what is wrong. The more familiar you are with the real thing, the more ready you will be to identify the counterfeit. Study the Bible. Know the Bible. That will largely be enough. Secondly, be suspicious of popularity. I'm not saying that every popular teacher is a false teacher, but a lot of false teachers are popular. That's the way it's been over history. False teachers tend to get a lot of people following them. Popularity is no confirmation of truthfulness. So be discerning about that. Third thing, hold your pastor accountable to faithful Bible preaching. So I invite you to do that. If you hear a pastor who's giving more of his opinion than he is interpretation of what the Bible says, you need to pull him aside and say, you, you better be careful because you could steer off into the direction of false teaching to the degree that you're getting away from what the Bible says. Not all of you belong to this church or attend this church regularly, so I say that for all pastors. Hold them accountable to biblical preaching and teaching. Fourth thing, Watch out for any, any view that makes God more like man and makes man more like God. Any view that exalts the power and glory of human beings as if they are to even be worshipped, maybe. And any view that reduces the power and glory of God to make him seem ordinary. Probably false teaching. Fifth thing, watch out for innovation. Watch out for new things. When someone comes and they say, I've got a brand new teaching that no one's ever recognized and that's never been heard of in the church, that's a real red flag. And if you happen to believe some doctrine or some view and you're the only one who believes it, you can't find anybody else to confirm you throughout church history or in your church or among your elders, I think you're the one who's wrong, friend. You're the one who's wrong. The, the job of theology is not innovative and innovate is not intended to be innovative in coming up with new ideas, but to continue to pass down the doctrine that comes from the scriptures. So, what can we do? Um, those are some things to just kind of keep your eye out for. I want to make some practical suggestions to you. Um, reading church history is a real valuable exercise because almost all new false teaching is just old false teaching repackaged and, and looking a little different. And it's just amazing. You read church history. I, it happens all the time as I'm reading stuff from the 1800s. Like, that's exactly what people are saying today, 100 years ago. And everybody acts like it's some brand new thing today. It's not. The same old false teaching. Jehovah's Witnesses deny that Jesus is the eternal Son of God. They think He was created. 
You think that's something new? I mean, a guy named Arius did that 15, 1,700 years ago. But it's hard to know that unless you're familiar, at least some degree, with church history. I want to give you some challenges here, too, in terms of reading. Read our Westminster Confession of Faith. It's a very solid doctrinal statement. It's a good summary of biblical Christianity. This is a book called Confessing the Faith by a guy named Dixhorn. Um, the confession is in there and then commentary on it. I've been about halfway through with that. It's been, been very good. It's not, not easy reading, but it'd be good for you. Uh, a little easier reading is Essential Truths of the Christian Faith by R.C. Sproul. Excellent book covering all the major doctrines of Christianity in just two and three page chapters. Um, Highly recommended, easy to read, very stimulating, uh, very good. And then I would also recommend J. Gresson Machen's Christianity and Liberalism, written in the early 1900s. This is one of those books that talks about errors that were being promoted in the early 1900 years ago. And it's just so much the same as, as what you see today. Liberalism, by the way, he means theological liberalism. Don't misunderstand that. It's not about political liberalism. But those are three good places to start as you prepare to watch out for false doctrine. So let me just briefly here complete this message, verses 25 through 27. It's wonderful here how Paul just kind of sums up true doctrine in these last few verses. He sums up the gospel so well by saying in this doxology, now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, the gospel is central to what Paul has been saying all through Romans, and this gospel is proclaimed through the preaching of Jesus Christ, his work, his death, his resurrection, and this has happened in accordance with the revelation. It's something that's been given to us by God. It's not something that we've come up with on our own. It was mysterious in the past. It's clearer now, but has been disclosed and made known through the prophetic writings, the scriptures. That's how we know the gospel, through what the Bible says. And now it's been made known to all nations. This gospel is spreading throughout the nation through missionary enterprises and evangelists so that it's now reached even central Indiana. And we have heard the gospel and believed, and this is all in accordance with the command of the eternal God who commanded us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. And so he says at the end of verse 26, to bring about the obedience of faith. Salvation is through faith in Jesus, but true faith always results in obedience. Obedient people. And the final result of it all is that the only wise God would receive glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. That's true teaching. And what a wonderful way for Paul to bring this great letter to a close. And I can't think of a better way for us to conclude Romans than to sing a song that reflects on the glory of God. To God be the glory. That's what we're going to sing. So please stand. And let's sing praises to God. Father, we do thank you for teaching us what is right and what is true in your word. Would you help us to watch out for false teachers and to cling tightly to you in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.